Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so that you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. As we jump into the Word today, go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to start with Luke chapter 15 and verse 10 as our key scripture. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. Here's what it says. In the same way I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I kind of like it in the message. Uh, Paraphrase, look what it says. Uh, Verse 10 in the message. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. When one lost soul turns to God, the entire heavenly host literally throw a party. And that's with that being said, we've titled this today, Heaven's House Party. Would you say that with me? Heaven's House Party. You can do better than that. Heaven's House Party. And so as we jump into this, Jesus is just come out of two parables when he makes this statement about the angels having a house party every time one sinner turns back to God or comes to God. And he starts with this first parable about um, the, the, the uh, shepherd who has a uh, hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. And Jesus explains how that shepherd will leave the 99 entrusted with the other uh, you know, uh, co-workers that he has and he'll go out, put his life in danger to find the one. And when he finds that one sheep, I have a little problem here. When he finds that one sheep, he brings it back and they all throw a party because what was lost is now found. Jesus continues on with another parable about a woman who has 10 coins in her house. She has a set amount of money. Probably she has worked real hard for these coins and we would think coins is not as valuable in our lifetime, but the way they they didn't have as much paper money in ancient times, uh, they made their money out of gold and out of uh, copper and things like that, just like You know, we used to in years gone by. And so she loses one of her 10. So 10% is gone. And the Bible, and Jesus says, does she not clean her house, search fervently until she finds it? And when she finds it, what does she do? She contacts all her friends and say, come rejoice with me because that which was lost is now found. That which was gone is now returned to me. Friend, this is the nature of Father God because he would that none should perish but all have eternal life. Literally, heaven goes crazy when one person comes to God who repents of their sins and turns from their ways and loves Jesus. In this moment, now more than ever before, the world is confused, the world is angry, the world is frustrated, the world is turning on each other. And friend, more than ever, what people need is the living Savior. More than ever, they need to know that they're going to die one day and then they're going to stand before the judgment and an account. And I want you to know the angels sit on the edge of their seat. Will Bill get saved? Will Demetrius get saved today? Will this be the day they turn back to Father God? And when they do, they go crazy. It's like a, I, I picture, because I'm from Louisiana, I picture a New Orleans, come on, jazz band coming through the street. I, I picture them literally losing every bit of a proper attire and attention and the way they're acting to go crazy because one who was lost has now been found. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Are you with me today? Say yes. I don't, I've never had my child lost for any length of time. But as I understand how the Amber Alert works, is that once a child has either gone missing because someone's either taken them 
or somehow they are, they've been removed uh, from their place of safety, that what transpires is they do this amber alert, if you will. And uh, I can't imagine what it would be to call every one of my friends, relatives, co-workers, and say, can you help me? I can't imagine that every one of my posts over a three-hour period is all about my child is missing. Have you seen them? This is what, this is the last time. I can't imagine the terror and the frustration. But can you imagine after going through that and then that child being returned to you? Can you imagine the elation? Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine what you then post like crazy? I mean, from that point forward, you'll never let them out of your sight, I would imagine. But that kind of experience that what was so precious to you that was taken from you has now been returned to you. God the Father created humanity. Sin stole us away from him. He sent his only begotten son to die on a cross that we could return to him, that make a pathway, a way back to him. And then when one man, one woman, when an individual, I, look, I love how Jesus says, he doesn't just say when whole groups of people, no, no, just one. It, it, just one and all of heaven throws a party because the one that was lost is now back, has found and safe. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so I wanted to take us through a little storyline this morning. I want to take us through the book of Jonah. It's got a number of chapters, so it's going to take us about six hours to read the whole thing. I'm just messing with you. Everybody online just went, switched to Stephen Furtick. No, but what we'll do is we'll break down this passage a little bit in the book of Jonah. And it's kind of, I've titled this kind of, this segment, Jonah and Nineveh. Has, he has this engagement. And we'll start with the kind of four segments of the story. He's got four big segments that happens. The first segment is we see that Jonah runs away from God's call. And let's look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. Jonah 1 and 1. Now, most time, most, uh, we may have a little bit of understanding about Jonah and the well. And we've heard some stories like that. Maybe you went to VBS back in the day or kids ministry somewhere. Or you grew up, you know, and you did, you know, you did your, your, your uh, in, in Catholicism. And you did your catechism or something like that. Maybe you know about this guy swollen, uh, swallowed, excuse me, by a fish. He was swollen after a while, I tell you that now. But what I want to do is bring you to the real essence of why this entire book is in the Bible. And it starts in verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, everybody look at it, pay attention. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarsus. So God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach because their wickedness has come before me. Let's break down who Nineveh is. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a warring people. In fact, Nineveh is probably some of the most vile and warring type personalities ever assembled. And the city's over 100,000 people. And they are, they are pretty, um, they're pretty warring and violent and uh, some have supposed, it's unproven, some have supposed that they had attacked Israel and in, in Jonah's lifetime and potentially even killed some of his family. So he, potentially he hates them. Uh, some propose that, uh, that maybe his own, his own uh, uh, wife or mother and father uh, were, uh, were killed by Ninevites. Uh, everyone had these proposals of what might be the reason that Jonah ran away from wanting to help these people. But none of those are really established. What is established, just to give you a little bit of con context, Nineveh 
is present-day Mosul in Iraq. And so this is a city that in, in biblical times that, that Israelites obviously do not like these people, do not trust these people. You could even say that, especially in this time, they are the enemy of the Israelites. And God comes to Jonah and says, I need you to go there and preach against them because their evil has come up and has come up to heaven. In other words, the awareness of how wicked they are has gotten my attention to a place that I've got to actually do something. The only other time we really see that same concept happening in scripture is with Sodom and Gomorrah when their wickedness had come up before the Lord and the Lord literally had to do something to stop that so that that didn't propagate and completely destroy the whole earth. And so we see the same type of engagement. So God is looking to remove these people to either to either heal these people or something we're not really sure we just know that Jonah runs away and as he runs away he gets on a ship and he's heading toward Tarsus and a great storm comes up and the people who run the ship are saying what it's like the gods are against us the gods are against us what is happening here and Jonah finally steps up and says uh, it's me I'm running away from God and they're like dude you're done and they throw him overboard in the midst of a hurricane Come on, have you ever watched those fishing shows out in, when they're out in the night and they just chunk, I mean, they're going to die. And so look in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 9, uh, he gets swallowed by this fish. Now, I love that people say that it's a whale because that's probably in our modern times the only animal that we can put context to that maybe this is. But there's no, the Bible doesn't call it a whale, it just calls it a great fish. And so in the midst of being in this fish's belly... For three days and three nights. I want, you to, I want you to process that with me for just a moment. He's in the middle of an, a live animal's stomach for three days and three nights. First off, imagine the terror. Whatever was your back, back in the day before you were Christian, whatever was your terror movie that you like to watch, magnify that times ten because he's living it. Okay, So he's in it. He's in total darkness. He cannot eat, he cannot drink for three days. What's inside of this animal? This animal is alive. It's, he's within his digestive system, and it's supernatural that this man is alive for that amount of time in the middle of a live animal. In fact, I don't think scientists could even try to re, uh, recreate this moment if they, if, they, if they even wanted to. And so this is supernatural that he is in constant terror and no way out. He's in constant terror. Can you imagine being in total darkness and living things are bumping against you as they are being dissolved by the acids within that fish's stomach? Can you imagine that they are dying and bumping into you? What all has this fish swallowed? What all is inside of this? What all type of gook and that? Come on, somebody. I mean, you're about to end up in the digestive tract, all right? You're about to be. And, and so... That's what's all around you in darkness. You can't see anything. Friend, he had him three days in the pits of hell. If I, it, it's about, about the best I could imagine it. Uh, some even talk about how, you know, as a Jewish man, he would have had darker skin tone. And now the acids within this, within this belly is, is, is literally, uh, you know, taking the pigments in his skin and lighting them. I, I don't know if that's true, but that was some, someone, one scholar proposed that. But the point of the matter is he's in sheer terror. And when we drop down the chapter 2 verse... Verse 9, Jonah comes to his senses and begins to repent. He, he, he wakes up and he begins to repent. Look what he says. He says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving. <laughs> He's in misery. And he says, but I, Lord, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. In other words, I am an idiot. You are wonderful. I am willing to sacrifice. What are you going to sacrifice? He is the sacrifice. What I have vowed, I will make good. 
This is the repentance. Lord, what I told you I would do years ago, I will make good on it now. I want to point out that he didn't repent because he loved the people of Nineveh. He repented because he was in a dark place. I want you to know the enemy will put you in a dark place. The Lord will take his hand off and say, okay, if that's what you want to do, go your own way. And you will find yourself in a dark place. How many of us repented when we found ourselves in a dark place? It was when I looked up and went, whoa, it was better being a Christian. What am I doing? In a dark place. And he continues on and he says, and the Lord, excuse me, for I vow I will make it good because salvation comes from the Lord. I can't save myself. Salvation comes from the Lord. In verse 10, when he does this, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. How close did this giant fish get to the shoreline to be, able to, to be able to puke him up on the shoreline? Can you imagine when God proposed it like this? Can you imagine you're a Ninevite out there fishing in the surf and all of a sudden this big fish comes up and goes, and then there's a dude standing there I mean, just the imagery is unbelievable, okay? And so, and then the guy steps up and goes, repent. You go, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Right here. You don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. And that's kind of the scene that happens in this whole thing. And then we move on and kind of the third phase of this whole storyline, Jonah begins to go around and calling the Ninevites to repent. And they do. Look what happens in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 3. It says, on the first day, Jonah started into the city. Sunday morning, when that, when that thing throws him up on the seashore, I mean on the shoreline, he starts preaching starting on a Sunday. Come on, that's why we should go to church on Sunday. Anyway, I don't know. I just go every day's church. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Verse 5, the Ninevites believe God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. The whole city began to repent. In fact, if you'll drop down to verse 10, it actually says that God saw their repentance and had compassion on them. The king himself of Nineveh went, God is coming to our midst and they fall down on their face. A city of about, 100 to 100, about 120,000 people, they all repent. Not because Jonah's preaching is so good. God's been massaging that thing. God's been working that thing in the hearts of men. You can't get a person to turn around, but God can. You can't cause a person to come to their senses in their darkness by some educated, you know, a breakdown of truth. Man, when, when you're blinded, you're blinded. When you're hurt, you're hurt. Only God can awaken the person, the individual, to the need that they have and the truth that he is the living Savior. Come on, only God can do that. And I want you to know he's doing that in the earth right now, and we got to be cautious. As Christians, that we're not so divided and over here and looking over there that we miss that hurting people are like, where are we? That we shouldn't be standing there in front of them and saying, God is here. God is in the midst. Come and bow your knee before the living God. Know the truth that I know. Know the salvation of the Lord your God. And as Jonah, uh, excuse me, Jonah begins to preach that, they begin to be awakened to what God was already doing. The circumstances of their life, the moment in time, this situation, God had fashioned and formulated all that. Jonah wasn't that great of a preacher. He wasn't even into it. He was doing it out of anger, obedience. Have you ever done anything out of anger, obedience? It's like the little four-year-old kept standing up in his high chair. And his daddy said, sit down. He said, no. Dad went over there, whopped him on the leg. Sat down, and he's sitting there staring at his dad. And he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> Is that not how we treat the Lord so many times? Lord, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to do it at all. And that brings us to the final segment of this whole storyline in the book of Jonah. 
And it comes to the place where they all repent. And we find at the end, chapter 4, Jonah is ticked. He's, he's ticked off at God. Look what he says, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. I call that tick. Sorry, I apologize. That's probably not good Christian, but it is truth. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarsus. I told you you were going to do this. I, that's why I didn't go when you wanted me to go. That's why I went the other direction. And he continues on on what his problem is with the Lord. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God. A gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. He is angry at God because I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to let him off the hook. I knew you were going to have grace and mercy and you're abounding in love. And I don't believe they deserve it. They should burn because of their wickedness. Isn't it interesting how quickly we become the judge of humanity? Though grace and mercy has been extended to us, we don't feel like others deserve that grace and mercy. See, that's because you're steeped in dead religion. Dead religion says, if I do four good things and only two bad things, then I'm ahead of everybody else. But you don't understand genuine relationship with the living Savior. I've taught you this over and I'm going to keep preaching it every Sunday probably until you get it. You're going to find it. He said it again until you get it. And that is this. My relationship with Jesus is not dependent on me being good or bad. My relationship with Jesus is dependent upon me being within him. See, I always explain it to you like this. My children are good and bad at times. And I always, oh, validate. Right, now that's character. That's integrity. Ooh, that's not character and integrity. Let's fix that. But I don't love them based on good or bad. I love them because they're mine. Jesus doesn't love you forgive you, save you because you're good or bad. He loves you, saves you because you came and said, I'm yours. This is not my life. I give my life to you. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Do with me whatever you will. And he begins to then massage out all of that love for sin. As the relationship deepens, we fall more and more in love. We start looking like him and acting like him. But friend, what's happened to Jonah is Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites saved because he's determined they don't deserve salvation. They don't deserve to be made holy. They don't deserve grace and mercy. And he says, I knew this from the beginning. I knew you were going to do it. That's why I was like, no, I'm out of here. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm not going to Nineveh. Friend, can I tell you something? Every time you and I walk in disobedience, we find ourselves in dark places. Maybe some of you are in a dark place right now because you've not been obedient. So let me give you three big takeaways. Write these down. Here's our big takeaways from this whole passage with Jonah. And this whole concept of heaven is waiting on the end of its, at the edge of its seat, trying to throw another amazing house party. Oh, but if only the sons and daughters of the living God would reach out in obedience to the broken and the hurting so that one sinner could repent. The heavenly hosts are waiting to rejoice with that one that's been lost when it comes back in. Let me give you a couple big takeaways. Number one, God does not want anyone to perish. He does not want that. If that's in your doctrine, I apologize. I hope that you can work that out. 
as I look at scripture, and I appreciate my, my strong Calvinist friends that God's predetermined who's going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell, but I would just remind you of a couple key thoughts in Holy Scripture. Like 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is slow in keeping, is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not look down at the rapist murder and go, I can't wait to burn him up. I can't wait to fry him. He doesn't look at that, at that mother who, was, who had mental illness and beat that child and beat that child even maybe to death and say, I can't wait to destroy that woman. That woman destroys, deserves to be. No, because why? Because he's long-suffering. Because he's, because, he's, because he's compassionate. Because he has grace on all men. What does it say in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11? But Nineveh was more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. This is God engaging with Jonah after he's thrown a little hissy fit and said, see, this is why. Look what, what, how God responds. Verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? You may not be concerned about it, but there's 120,000 people who are going to spend eternity separated from me in total darkness and brokenness. You only had three days, and you cried out in repentance in a matter, in a matter of three days. Once it's over in eternity, they're forever destroyed. Would I not care about them? In fact, it even goes on, and I even care about their cattle. I didn't care about their animals because our God cares. He would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. Maybe you don't think that way, but that's how God thinks. Maybe you don't feel that way, but that's how God feels. Here's the second big takeaway. You still with me? Say yes. I don't know. You still love me? Say yes. Good. I sure do love you. Number two, running away will bring you into a dark place. Running away from the call of God on your life will bring you into a dark place. I've been in that dark place. I went in and out of that dark place for seasons of my life. That dark place is just a place of destruction. And that dark place hopefully awakens you to your, to your senses. And like the prodigal son and goes, man, it's better at my dad's house. Why would I keep living like this? Let me return. Years ago, I had a real close friend. And he's still a friend today. We engaged. His name's Mark. Mark's daddy was a very famous minister in our area, always overseas. He was a top translator for all the big name folks like, you know, at the time in the 80s, you know, the Billy Grahams and, the, and, the, and, and the, just the different big, big names. And Mark's dad was all over the world and everyone knew him as an amazing minister. Well, Mark going through high school and at junior high decided he just didn't really want to live the life of a Christian anymore. Somewhere in high school, he started, you know, he, he was a good looking kid. He was, he was gifted. He was anointed. God's hand was upon him. And, uh, but he just turned away from it. And he went, and he, just, he just went away from the Lord. Parents had even put him in Christian school thinking that would help and fix him. And it was the right thing to do. It only drove his heart further away from the Father because he didn't want God. He wanted the, the beautiful life excitement of the sin of the time. And he, and he lived it to its fullness. And Mark tells his story of rejecting God one service after another. Just sitting there, his parents made him go to service, just sitting there as a 15-year-old, then a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. And by the time he was 18, you can't make me go to church. I'm not going to church. Left the house a little earlier before he even went to college, I believe, if I understand it correctly, if I remember correctly. And Mark just, Mark just, he lived it to the fullest. Every girl he could be with, I mean, every club he could be at, every drug he could do, and just lived it to the fullest. And he said, one night... He's in this club, and he had just taken a couple of hits of acid. 
And as he was sitting in this club, he had an open body experience, out of body experience, like an open vision. He said he was on a train in total darkness. And that train, all of a sudden, he couldn't really tell where it was going, but all of a sudden the earth cracked open and there was nothing but blazing lava fire. And that train went down into that lava fire. And when he came off of that trip, he recognized that's what hell's going to be like. I don't want to live this way anymore. And he made a turnaround. Can I tell you something? When he made that turnaround out of that dark, that darkness made him realize, wait a minute, what am I doing with my life? Friend, can I explain something to you? We don't want to live in darkness in this life, and we don't want to live in, the, in darkness in the life to come. And sometimes that darkness is not only the enemy's plan to destroy us, but God also puts his hands off and says, okay, but I'm telling you, why don't you see what you're in now? and see what you could be in. Once you see how far you've gone away, and as Jonah is sitting there in that fish, he awakens. It wasn't because he loved people. It wasn't even because he loved God. It was because he loved himself. Because he was scared of dying in the place he was in. And I think sometimes that's as far as our Christianity goes. We repent because we just don't want to go to hell. But my prayer for every person is that they move into, from that into a love relationship with the living God. And then I'm not living every day not to go to hell. I'm living every day to be more like Jesus. And as I become more like Jesus, life begins to exude from me to everyone else. And they begin to get touched and begin to be changed. Are you with me today? Say yes. Here's the third big truth that I want you to take away from this. It's kind of the, the big aha. And that is, you may be, you're not going to like this one. I'm so sorry. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Come on, somebody say, tell me, Pastor. All right, I'm going to tell you then. Thank you asked for it. <laughs> you may be called to love those that you think don't deserve it. Yeah, let your phone go off with that one for a second because that's, I don't even like that statement. <laughs> you may be called to love those who you think don't deserve it. That is the entire summary of Jonah, the book of Jonah. Jonah didn't think they deserved it. God didn't care what he thought. He would that none should perish, but all have eternal life. Jonah ran away from that because he didn't think they deserved it. What if the person who's hurt you the worst, what if the people group who marginalized you the worst, what if you are very called to see them saved? What if? I'm not saying that's the case, but what if? Because I'm going to tell you right now, when you and I extend love to our enemies, that does something supernatural to turn them back to the Father, which is the goal. Years ago, I think I told you this, years ago I was a youth minister in Louisiana, and we had a, a pretty thriving youth ministry, hundreds and hundreds of young people. There's this one kid, man, this one kid, he was a leader of leaders, man. I mean, just natural-born leader. Everything he did, they followed him. And he decided he was going to come to our youth ministry. He didn't want God. He could care less about God. But there were a lot of pretty girls there. And he found him a hunting ground. And he didn't chase after the ladies who didn't really serve God that maybe were forced to come by their parents or whatever. He chased after the core female leaders in our youth ministry. I mean, the girls who'd gotten right with God, loved Jesus, he would chase it. And he had this manipulation thing. It was a gift. It, it was a demonic gift is what it was. That kid, and he, 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 he just could talk him into anything. I mean, by about the fourth or fifth young lady that he, in my opinion, had just destroyed, I wrote him off as Satan incarnate in our midst. 
I saw him as the wolf that he really was being. And I went to my pastor multiple times to try to kick him out of our church. And our, my pastor wouldn't let me. I, multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. And this went on for two, three years. I couldn't stand this kid. I didn't like him. He was the bane of our existence. Every time I had a young lady leader that fell off the wagon or went back into wickedness, he was always attached to it somehow. And that's how I viewed it. And one day the Lord said, when are you going to pray for him? So I said, okay, I'll pray for him. Lord, remove him. <laughs> what else you want to pray about? <laughs> Done. He goes, I will not accept that. All right, God, I pray that you would cause another church to reach out to him so that he could be saved. <laughs> I will not accept that either. And so finally, after being in darkness for a few days, I said, okay, Lord, because you are gracious and mercy. So I started praying for his soul. As I began to pray for him, like the Bible says for us to do, something started turning in my heart. I started having faith that he could be turned around. I was hopeless. He was the enemy. He was destructive. He needed to be removed. As I began to pray for him, my heart began to see what God saw, began to believe like God believes. See, if you're going to be in the belly of a well three days, that's supernatural. That same supernatural sustaining ability in the midst of darkness, God can turn that around for set the same kind of supernatural transformation of an entire city of violent people called Nineveh. And so as I began to pray for this young man, I began to fall in love with him. I didn't know I was falling in love with him. I just knew that my heart was opening to him. And one day, I come walking up after service. He and a couple guys are standing around. And I'd already been hearing that they were going around graffitiing or tagging, as we called it in those days, different buildings around our city, which meant that they were the guys that were, the police are looking for. And, uh, and so I walk up on it, and I overhear it. So then they're all freaked out, right? And so this young man's name is Corey. And, and, uh, and I can say his name because we've had this conversation a lot, and he's given me permission to tell this. And I said, I said hey, Corey. Are you really good at tagging stuff? Man, huh? How you know? I don't, I don't necessarily tag stuff and that kind of stuff. I said, I said listen, listen, look, I'm not looking to get you in trouble. I said, we have this youth facility, uh, you know, that we would all go and play our video games and pool tables. It was, you know, next door to the building that we had our services in. I said, uh, would you be willing to come? And we have a whole wall. And I just think it'd be cool, man, if you could just graffiti that, you know. I mean, you can't use, like, F words and stuff like that, but, like, Holy Spirit or something. I mean, like, just put some cool stuff, like, cross, something like that. And he goes, he goes, man, I don't know. I was like, listen, you don't even have to do your little signage thing so no one finds out it was you on all the other buildings. I said, but uh, I'll even pay for the paint, bro. He's like, you would do that? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay. I said, when do you want to start? This is a Sunday night. He goes, what about in the morning? I said, okay. And so he showed up that morning. That kid had never been on time for anything. He showed up at 7.30 in the morning, almost 8 o'clock. Maybe it was 8 o'clock I was going to meet him. He was there early. We went in. We looked at it. We went over to Home Depot. I had to sign for the paint. I mean, we must have bought $400 worth of spray paint. In those days, that was like 300 cans, 500 cans. That kid worked in that room every day. Every day, 10-hour days. I mean, five days. He made a mural that was something that Michelangelo in modern times would have put together. It was unbelievable. I would come. I could only sit there a little bit. I understood now why guys like to graffiti with spray paint. Because about 15 minutes of being in there, I'm like, bruh, this is awesome. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so grateful for all you pure-hearted folks who never 
have these clean lives in the background. <laughs> Grew up in church. God bless you. And so, and so, and so after four or five days, he was coming up to the close of it, and he sat there, and he kept wanting to do more stuff. And can we do this, and can we do that? And <laughs> I didn't have permission to do anything but that wall, and I didn't know if I'd keep my job for that. And, uh, and I got to talking to him, and he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, I want to tell you I'm sorry. I said, what for? He goes, I purposely tried to destroy this youth ministry. I said, yes, yes, you have. He goes, I don't want to be like that anymore. I do want to be a Christian. I, I just always slip up so much, I just felt like I couldn't be it. That took me down the path of the difference of dead religion and real relationship. I began to teach him what it was to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. He got radically saved. When I moved here to Texas, that young man came a couple years later to help me. That young man is one of the closest people I'll ever have in my life. He will murder for me, so don't do me wrong, because I'm going to tell you right now. He's still not quite there. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. He's a good guy. But back to number three. You may be called to love those who you don't think deserve it. God would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. What did Jonah say? I was mad at you. I'm mad at you because I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to help these people. I knew you were long-suffering. I knew you don't want to bring calamity on anybody. I knew that you cared and you loved them, and I don't, and they don't deserve it, and I think they should burn forever, and God responds. There's 120,000 of them. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know which way they're going. So, yes, they're acting like this because they don't know which way is right. You better believe I care about them. And that's the heart of your father. And that should be the hearts of the sons and daughters of the father. And it is my call to you today. Will you be, will you be the kind of men and women who say, you know what, I may not even necessarily agree, but I know my God is compassionate to those that I don't think deserve it. Will you be the kind of people who reach out to those that aren't like you, who don't think the way you think? Will you be the kind of the, those people who love the way your father loves See, in this moment right now, it's a crazy time in which we live. Everybody's got a lot of different opinions on which way is right, which way is wrong, which way we should be acting, uh, moving towards and acting this way. But at the end of the day, our generation doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. And at the end of the day, every one of us will die and stand before the Father. And every one of us here in this room, those of you watching online who love God with all of your heart, what kind of hatred do we have to have towards our brother that we don't want them to spend eternity with the Father? What kind of hatred do we have that we would rather sit around arguing instead of loving? This is the church's finest hour. God the Father is trying to turn a generation back to himself. He is working things. All Jonah did was walk through saying, the end is coming, the end is coming. <laughs> and within a matter of moments, of just speaking truth, they all fell down on their face and asked God into their life. Why? Because God was already massaging that direction. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. You can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to PO Box 3815. 
Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.